The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. to Ontario now where you can find the Highway of Heroes. Of course, that strong song by the Trues, so powerful for so many. Um, from CFB Trenton into Toronto where uh, where the bodies of our fallen were um, repatriated and that amazing Afghanistan repatriation memorial just across uh, the road from CFB Trenton. If you ever get a chance to check it out, it is a powerful spot like so many of the Canadian war memorials uh, across this country and uh, through Europe. On Remembrance Day 2020, we are marking the 75th anniversary of the end of World War II. We honour and we recognise and remember all of the veterans, especially those who served in World War II. We know that those numbers are dwindling and the ages of those still alive is, um, is certainly creeping up there. Ted Barris, the author, the military historian and great friend of this show, is going to be hosting a truly virtual Remembrance Day. He joins us this afternoon from Uxbridge, Ontario. Hi, Ted. Hi, Jaylen. How nice to hear your voice. Oh, it's been uh, it's been way too long, Ted. It's been way too long. We were going to be together last Saturday night, I think, we're at Festival Place. <laughs> <No>. and <laughs> It's a good thing it didn't happen in spite of all of the, the tears we shed for uh, not being able to be there with the storm. We might have had 20 people show up. <laughs> exactly, my friend. <laughs> Ted, hey, I know that you were listening to the interview with uh, General Hillier just before um, we, we dialed you up. What are your thoughts on... on uh, getting those uh, awards, you know, getting some of those highest military honours, the Victoria Cross to maybe some of those heroes of the Afghanistan war? Well, first of all, I have absolutely no right to um, offer uh, a direct suggestion of what should be done. I have feelings about it uh, and, 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 and ideas, but I have not ever served in uniform. Mm. I have never been in a battlefield except all these years later to, you know, peruse and to gather the, the research and so on. But my, my feelings are, are, are perhaps twofold. One, um, I think that the men and women who served there, the peers of uh, General Hillier and, and, and those who have served in uh, our operations in Bosnia, Herzegovina and Somalia and Rwanda, uh, Afghanistan and Iraq, should be the ones who participate in the judgment of that because they know better than anybody what it was like. Um, so my suggestion is that, as a historian, talk to the, the eyewitnesses, the men and women who know what it was, the experience was. I have interviewed many of them, mm-hmm. um, and every one of their stories deserves a VC, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> they, they're doing things I could never even dream of. The other thing, the other part of that coin to suggest that something be done is that I think you would agree that most of the people who have served in Canadian operations since the Korean War, feel that their service is not nearly as dire or as difficult or as uh, stressful or as uh, dangerous as was the case. 
maybe as as uh, had as great an impact on the world as the Great War, the, the Second World War, and the Korean War. Uh, those were much more obvious experiences that you know we knew who the the the, the enemy was mm-hmm. vividly, certainly in the Second World War. Mm-hmm. Um, so my sense is that maybe this would help those veterans get a sense that their service is as important as anybody else's. Ted, when we when we look at uh, the Second World War, and as we mark the 75th anniversary of the end of the Second World War, and you look at the campaigns, and if I just rattle off some of them, I mean, for most of our listeners, they will have heard of them. We know of the, the Battle of the Atlantic, the Battle of Britain, Dieppe, the Italian campaign, of course, D-Day, the Battle of, of Normandy. I mean, you have you have written specifically about all of these. And so when we try to look back and mark that 75th anniversary, where do you where do you even begin? I mean, there's there's so many there's so many different areas we can focus on or do we just simply maybe, you know, pay the most attention to those who served and 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 and, and made the ultimate sacrifice? Well, the difficulty in trying to trace the stories of the ultimate sacrifice is that they can't bear witness to what we write as historians. Mm. It's generally speaking the ones who witnessed it or whose uh, experiences alongside those who lost their lives uh, when they share them with us. The one thing that does benefit people such as myself, however, is that that generation, by and large, wrote things down. <laughs> um, that was the case even more so in the Great War. Most of men and women who wrote about their experiences in the First and Second World Wars kept diaries illegally or made notes in those little um, Red Cross uh, diary books or or their pay books uh, just to kind of keep track of what their life was like or maybe just to keep sane. Mm -hmm. Um, And because of that, I was able to, for example, go back to the Battle of Vimy Ridge and write Victory at Vimy for the the book I did on on, uh, that, that incredible story. I interviewed no one who had witnessed it, but I was able to get the stories from the families who saved um, dads or granddads' letters <laughs> or diaries. One story I should relate to you because mm-hmm. it pertains to the subject today of, of you know the, the awards and so on. As soon as I heard uh, General Hillier and your interview a few minutes ago, I was listening online, I immediately thought of the story of Lyle Pugsley. Now, <laughs> Lyle Pugsley was a corporal in... Um, the 85th Battalion of, uh, in the First War at Vimy. And his regiment was actually a regiment behind the Nova Scotian uh, Highlanders. They were known as the Highlanders Without Kilts, <laughs> which meant that they were, as you probably know, they had not been recognized as a Royal Highland Regiment yet. And so they were not given that credit. Pugsley is involved in the taking on the final day of the Battle of Vimy Ridge, uh, an area known as the Pimple. This is Mm -hmm. the the highest point on Vimy, even higher than 145. And it took an extraordinary feat of valor. And one of the ingredients was using their Lee-Enfield rifles, kind of like rocket launchers. Uh, They had been practicing this, not necessarily for real, but as a possible alternative to their traditional means of taking ground. 
And so Pugsley took this example of this training, and he used these Mills bombs and blank shells in the Lee Enfields, launched them into the trenches of the Germans, confused them so much that the Canadians ultimately were able to take the lines. This is in the fourth day of the Battle of Vimy Ridge, closing the deal. So he finally, they take the, the, the pimple, uh, he gets some food and some rest, and somebody comes through the next day with a, a helmet upside down, and in it are a bunch of slips. And he's told, because he's, he, they, they know, this is Pugsley, the guy who was shooting the Mills bombs. And the, his senior officer says, pull a slip out of the helmet. And he says, why? We're determining who's going to get a military medal or not. <laughs> and that's how it was done. Wow. Believe it or not. Thank you, everyone, who is sharing stories this afternoon on the text line. I promise to get to them and read some of them on the air coming up here in the next uh, little while. One of the best storytellers I know is joining me on the phone this afternoon. His name is Ted Barris, of course, an award-winning journalist, working right now on his 20th his 20th book. Uh, Ted, thanks for taking the time to join me once again this year. Um, let's talk about liberation. We often hear about the liberation of France and oh, and, 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 and Holland, um, those sorts of things. Um, I, I think unless you've ever visited there, you, you don't really understand how important the Canadian forces were and still are to those areas, to those countries. It's amazing. Yeah, if you walk to any town or village in the Netherlands and uh, you ask for some sense of Canada's role um, in the liberation, you'll hear one of two or three things. One, you'll hear the word Scheldt mentioned. Mm -hmm. The Scheldt estuary had to be cleared of the Germans on the north side so that ships could travel into Antwerp, and the Canadians were given the dirty job of doing that. It took them a couple of months and 5,000 lives. And the Germans flooded the land in front of the Canadians to a depth that was just over the tops of their boots so that their feet would always be Mm. wet and cold. And they succeeded uh, at a cost of 5,000 lives. The other thing that people will mention are the food drops. Mm-hmm. The fact that in the final days of the war, um, clearly the big problem was the Allies haven't driven a wedge through the German uh, occupation of the Netherlands, right through the middle, which uh, cut off the armies, the German armies to the west. And that was where the most populous centers of the Netherlands were, Amsterdam, Rotterdam, The Hague. And all those places were full of people starving. And so the Canadians helped uh, negotiate a deal. They brought the Germans to a, in a Canadian army car, blindfolded, to a place called Ochtwald and they, Ochtavar, and they actually talked the Germans into realizing that corridors of air should be arranged to allow bombers to fly at low level to drop food. And over the next week or 10 days or so, uh, Canadian, British, and American crews in two operations, Operation Mana, on the Commonwealth side and Operation Chowhound on the American side dropped the better part of uh, 10 or 15,000 tons of food to those uh, starving 3 million city dwellers in Western Holland. And uh, I talked to one of the crews. One of the crews was um, uh, commanded by Joe English, uh, who's from Calgary. Mm -hmm. His crew had done a full tour. They'd done 30 ops. There was no reason they had to stay on, but this for them was the greatest bombing mission of ever, to go in low level and to drop food. And and the, the image that I'll take to my grave is the one that Joe and his crews saw on their second or third trip in, 
when the Dutch civilians, thanking the men, took all their finest linens, their curtains, their tablecloths, their skirts, and spelled out in white linen on the ground so the crews could see it as they came in. Thank you, boys. Wow. Wow. Uh, Ted, your your twentieth book is the bat is on the Battle of the Atlantic, and uh, that was the longest battle of the Second World War. And again, I don't again, you know, I'm not sure how many people know that, but boy, what a story to be told there. Well, it's been told before by the best uh, historians uh, in the in the country, Mark Milner, uh, Roger Sarkey. Um, uh, David Berkison, um, uh, Spencer Dunsmore. They've all done books on the Battle of the Atlantic. I've found stories that will help give the story some more life, mm-hmm. some more... I think what the general was talking about in the last half hour, about telling our stories through the eyes of the witnesses, the people there. And I've found stories that have never been told before. And um, I'm thinking about Diane, who, who texted you mm-hmm. a little earlier about the letters that her father can write uh, that she's discovered and decided that she's going to go back and look at more carefully. I got letters from a Merchant Navy niece, a Merchant Navyman's niece, and she didn't think anybody was interested. I asked about them, and she fired them along to me. A hundred letters that he wrote for several years home to his mother hmm. in Cornwall, Ontario. And it gives you, it takes you right to the guts of what it was like to be a merchant sailor crossing the Atlantic in those convoys against the U-boats all those years. And it's just so vivid, so rich, so real, that I'll, I hope I'll be able to take you there in this book. Ted, the HMCS, the Ottawa, it was yes. in the, and it was torpedoed, wasn't it? In, yes, it was. Yeah. You know what? Well, I was lucky enough uh, years back to meet a great Edmontonian by the name of Cliff Power. And Cliff and I <laughs> became pals. And uh, I saw him the day that he passed away a few years back. He was hoping to make it to the Remembrance Day service that I had emceed for many years, and, and he didn't that year. But he was on the Ottawa when it was torpedoed. Um, and he had said, and, and in the book, uh, Laughing in the Face of Danger by uh, Scott ha- Haskins, uh, he had said that in the 10 minutes before the Ottawa was sunk, a mystery ma- mate secured him and threw, threw him overboard. He spent seven hours in the North Atlantic, 1,000 kilometers east of St. John's, Newfoundland, before being rescued. 114 people died that day. He and 68 others survived. And it was... Um, just an absolute honor to to know him and um again i think it's really important that his stories in the battle of the atlantic those ones that haven't been told are told and it's so uh, uh, vivid in your memory because he told it to you that way and it and it and it illustrates how many victoria crosses are deserved and have gone unnoticed uh, I, I could point to a half a dozen of them in, in this new book on the Battle of the Atlantic. Men and women who served uh, way above and beyond the call of duty to make sure that the convoys got through. Because if that hadn't happened, the war would have been completely different. Mm-hmm. It, wouldn't, it would never have been the survival of England, even in 1940, and then beyond as the launching pad for the invasion to restore uh, freedom in the continent. None of that would have happened without the convoys. Ted, when can we expect uh, that book to come out? 
I'll be banging on your door about a year from now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I right. hope I hope even more more uh, pleasantly in your studio. I can't wait. It would be an absolute pleasure. Ted, thanks for joining me this afternoon. Always great to talk with you. Likewise. Take I hope care. We'll talk soon. All right. Bye bye. Bye bye. Ted Barris joining us this afternoon has written again. If you want to uh, read, um, you know, some really awesome books from uh, about Juno, about Vimy, about Afghanistan, about uh, the Great Escape, uh, the Air Force. Um, look up Ted Barris's name. You'll be able to read uh, some some really awesome books from him. Uh, again, The Battle of the Atlantic, his book coming up. And oftentimes when those books come up, he does come to town and often speaks at Festival Place. So you can get to hear him firsthand as well. Ted Barris joining me this afternoon.